0: Good morning. That's a question that before you leave the sanctuary this morning that you may have to answer to God. And your answer will depend on whether you're choosing obedience or whether you're choosing disobedience. But before we open God's Word and to kind of give you a sense of direction where we're going today, we're going to talk about a sin. And a sin which if it's in your life or the life of this church, it will simply go dead. But before we open God's Word, as I said, and talk about that, I want to share a story that's still very tender on my heart. When I lived in Colorado, I worked with several police agencies, and because of that, I, worked, I was taken into Columbine High School just literally moments after the slaughter. There wasn't a bullet hole I didn't see, there wasn't a bomb fragment I didn't step over, or a dead body that I didn't smell. And out of that horror story came a story about a young girl called Cassie, Cassie Bernal. Cassie was the one that was praying out loud when the perpetrators came in and said, Hey, anyone here believe in God? Cassie said yes, and they shot her once right in the face. But if you don't know anything about Cassie's background... Several months prior to her conversion to Jesus Christ, Cassie was a practicing black magic witch. Her mom and dad, nosing around her room one day, found a letter where Cassie and a friend of hers were planning to murder them. They did the tough love thing. They took Cassie away from her friends, kept her out of school, and the only place Cassie was allowed to go on her own was the youth group. But there at that youth group, Cassie for the first time heard about the love and the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and made that crucial decision to give her heart and her life to Jesus. And then Cassie wrote this note. We found this in her diary. This was written one month before her murder. Listen to the words of this 15-year-old. Could they be your words? Now I've given up on everything else. I found it to be the only way to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him to life again and to find out what it really means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. Fifteen-year-old Cassie Bernal facing impending death never once denied her faith in Jesus. But I'm afraid we're going to find out this morning, although by the grace of God... You may not be facing death today. That we do deny Jesus Christ. Not only by the way we live, but how we do not speak. So would you please stand with me as we honor God for reading from His Word, and then we'll go to prayer. If you brought your Bible, and I sure hope you did, we're going to go into the Old Testament today. We're going to go into Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 4 beginning at verse 29, 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 29. I see some of you haven't been in that part of your Bible in a while, and you're using the spin technique. If you get to Samuel, you're almost there. If you get to Chronicles, you've spun a little too far. So, as we begin to read God's inspired, inerrant Word of God, beginning at verse 29, 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha said to Gehisai, tuck the cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and he followed her. Gehisai went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face there was no sound or response so Gehisai went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy is not awakened when Elisha reached the house there was the boy lying dead on the couch he went in shut the door and the two of them prayed to the Lord then he got on the bed and he lay upon the boy mouth to mouth eyes to eyes hands to hands as he stretched himself upon him the boy's body grew warm Elisha turned away, walked back and forth in the room, and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times, opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehisai and said, Call the Shumanite, and he did. When she came in. He said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she took her son, and she went out. Please join me in prayer. Father, when we're going to talk about sin, some of us are going to become very uncomfortable because it will be our sin. And Father, you hate sin. And you're going to ask us to stop it, to turn from it, to repent. But Father, we can't do that apart from your grace. So it's my prayer this morning that you would bring brokenness wherever you choose to bring it, instill in all of us a fresh passion for people who are so lost. And Father, as always, please first begin with me. And we ask these things for the sake of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Peace is here. Why in the world? Did I pick such an unusual passage of Scripture? And what in the world does this passage of Scripture have to do with the word evangelism? Let me just take about two minutes and set the historical context of what in the world was happening in this passage. You see, at one time the Shumanite woman had offered some hospitality to some of God's people, and like many a woman, she wanted to have a child. But for whatever reason, she couldn't. But because of the hospitality she'd given to God's people, God gave her her deepest desire, birth of a son. But as you know, we live in a fallen world and tragedies around the next corner. This boy died. And she ran with what I believe is only the pain a mother understands. She ran to Elisha, who was God's man, hoping somehow, some way, Elisha, God's man, would bring the dead child back to life. And you and I have the same responsibility. God wants you to deal with people who are dead and bring them back to life. Who are these dead people? Where are these dead people? You got them in your neighborhoods. You got them in your schools. You got them where you work. Some of you keep them in your home. And I promise you we got some in the sanctuary this morning. We're talking about people people who are spiritually dead, people without a born-again personal relationship with Jesus and God simply says you're dead. And I understand that. Because in 1980, I'm as spiritually dead as anybody you've ever met. In 1980, I owned one of the larger houses of prostitution in this country. I'm involved in racketeering, bookmaking, gambling. I'm also president and chief executive officer of a multi-million dollar international corporation. I had everything. The world told me, if you just get this stuff, you'd be fine. Well, I got that stuff, and I wasn't fine. But I think of those servants, people like Elisha, people like Yehissah, people like you, that started to come into my life to tell me about this person called Jesus. First one I think of is my mother. I remember my mom losing a battle to cancer, but not far from mom was the Bible, the countless numbers of times, she said, I'm praying for this lost kid. But all my mom ever saw was a son getting worse and worse. Then I think of a place called the Lost Valley Ranch. When you're living a completely insane lifestyle that I'm living, you have to go somewhere and look for this little imaginary captured moment of peace. And I don't have a clue how I found this place other than the sovereign will of God. But it sits on about twenty five thousand acres of Colorado mountain country. Every time I got there, oh I felt good. But life goes on, you gotta go home. And I drive back down there dirt road. Every time I did, I got that sour burn in my stomach, I got those funny little tears in my eyes. And I kept saying to myself, Why am I having so much trouble leaving this place? But one year I figured it out. The whole ranch is loaded is what they call these born-again Christians. And I got so I could spot them. They had a little weird look in their eye and if you agitate them enough they'd burp out these Bible verses at me. None that I thought I needed. And it was Easter. Now what do non-believers do on Easter? You go to church. So I ride my horse out in the meadow and a young guy, sitting about the age of some of them right there, said something to me I never forgot. This young man said there's a difference between happiness and inner peace. He said happiness is like the high you get from the smell of the new car, the new dating relationship, closing a big business deal. Unless said, sex, drugs, hey, you get high. Some highs are higher than others, some last longer, but they always end, don't they? I thought, you know, the kid's right. I mean, he's talking about my life. Achieving, getting, doing, being, and empty. Then he switched. And he said, but inner peace is different. When he said that, something just went click. I thought, if I don't know what it is, I don't have it. But he defined it well. He said, inner peace is being okay regardless of the circumstances in your life. I said, fine, how do you get it? He said, only with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, that did it for me. I cursed him right to his face, got on my horse, and rode out of the middle. Then on and on and on, the servants kept coming. And if you were one of those servants who came into my life to tell me about this person called Jesus, you would have been insulted, persecuted, antagonized. But if you walked away from me believing that you failed, you believed a lie. Because I never forgot the name, the face, the words of the person who ever told me about Jesus. Now, did it make a difference that somebody like you was willing to come into the life of somebody as awful as me. Well, if you arrived in heaven today, you'd meet well over 10,000 people that I personally had the privilege just to sit with on a one-on-one basis since March fourth, 1981, when I surrendered my life to Christ. And I've watched the power of the gospel change their life. There's something I know with absolute certainty. As an evangelist, I've never anybody to the Lord. But I've been around a bunch of times, folks, when the Holy Spirit's done it, because I'm free from worrying about causing a conversion. Success is sharing your faith, living your life out for Jesus. has nothing whatsoever to do with bringing anyone to the Lord. I'm not. You're not. Your pastor's not responsible in anyone's life to cause the conversion. Because if you cause the conversion, they're not saved. People all the time say, why do you stay so excited? Because I walk around in a constant stage of anticipation, wondering what in the world God's going to do next in my life. I don't know if you got them up here in Tampa, but when I lived in Colorado, there's a big chain of restaurants called the Red Robin, and we got them down here. It's a glorified hamburger joint where you pay at least 10 times more for the same meat patty you get at McDonald's. It's that one. And I'm in there one day and. Nobody ever seems to be from Denver. So I just said to the server, where are you from? She said, Michigan. I said, well, how in the world do you get from Michigan to Denver? Oh, she said, I came to get married. Ooh. I heard the sadness. It didn't happen? She said, no. I said, ma'am, if you're interested, I have a solution for your pain. Oh, she said, can I bring a friend? I said, ma'am, not a problem in the world, because I'm bringing one too. So we met downtown Denver, business guys crawling all over the place, clinking glasses, didn't bother God a bit. Saw two women with many tears, give their heart and their life to Jesus, and then one looked at her watch. I said, did I keep it too long? She said, no. She said, I got to go back to my office and tell everybody in my office they can get their sins forgiven just like I got mine forgiven. Well, you know what's happening in the church today? Remember the woman at the well where Jesus forgave her sin? and she didn't walk to town, she ran. So did this lady. But you know what's happening in the church today? Nobody's running. Nobody's telling. Nobody's proclaiming what she did. She went back to her office and said to everyone, there's a person who can tell you how to get all of your sins forgiven and my phone rings. And the woman said, would you come on back down and meet with me? Poured her heart out. Thirteen months active in adultery. Last two months living away from her husband. Here's the good news about the forgiveness and restoration of Jesus. Receives it. Two days later, telephone call. It's her husband. He said, Bill, my wife has come home. She asked me to forgive her. He said, I don't understand everything that's happened to her. But whatever happened to her, I want it to happen to me. Now they sit in the front row of a church in Denver thanking God for a marriage that would have been in a trash can. Now, talk about pride. Two weeks later, telephone call, it's the adulterer. He wants to know how in the world the woman could have left him. Well, he came and he heard. But he chose not to believe. But he is not my problem. I had the privilege of the process of telling him about Jesus. What he does with that is between he and my father. Folks, I have a tremendous privilege in my life. Every weekend I'm in a different culture, different corner of the world, different denomination. But no matter where I go throughout God's collective church, I see a collective deadness. Don't confuse activity spiritual life I have never seen so much activity in churches podluck after podluck, program after program activity after activity and I go around asking one question who of you is still sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ anymore there's some questions we better start asking each other how many of us have been the means by which somebody came to know the Lord Jesus Christ I mean, do you folks really believe what your Bible said? When Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he's damned. Because if you really believed it, I'd never ask the next question. Here's our urgency. What generation apart from this generation has ever seen more prophetic fulfillment of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ than you and I? Therefore, now here comes the sin. Therefore, how do you and I remain so active in the sin of silence? And I think if I'm sitting where you are, my defense shield will go right up and go, Hey, hey, it's getting very personal now. I told you it would. Well, my pastor preaches on the Great Commission. I guarantee you does. But let me say it differently than maybe someone said it to you in the past. Folks, it's not going to be those two young men that slaughtered our children in Columbine High School, that are going to stand before God in judgment first. It's not going to be your town liar, thief, fornicator, homosexual, murderer, or drug dealer. Who's going to stand before God first is the household of faith. Folks, make no mistake about it. You and I are going to give an account to a God with fire in His eyes of every single thing you've ever done or not done, every word you've ever spoken or not spoken. And I'm in terror for us because I'm afraid we're going to be humbled into the dirt itself because we so pitifully failed to carry out God's great commission. Remember Peter? Peter the Apostle. What did Peter do? Not once, but three times. He denied ever knowing Jesus. I'll stake every penny in my pocket if I walk around to every person, every pew, every row and say, hey, ever heard of Jesus? Even if you haven't found Christ in a born-again biblical sense, I doubt if you'd do what Peter did. But the church, we found a modern way to do it, haven't we? We're denying Jesus by our silence. There's only two kinds of persons in this room. Those of you who talk about the lost and those of you who talk to the lost. And my concern isn't who you are now. My concern is who you're going to choose to become by the end of this message. And I think you ought to ask God a question. Since He's commanding me to do this, did He equip me to do it? Do you realize that if you're a born-again Christian, the Bible says, the resurrection power, the same power that took Christ off of that cross and out of that grave lives in you and it lives in me. Now, what excuse are we going to give God for the chosen sin of silence? i tell you what's fighting, folks. Your pastor's using it just like me. You can get up here on a Sunday at the pulpit, and you can look out. You can see people, cold Turkey, Sound asleep. Mom's through with the kids. People now texting. I mean, and yet, the one thing you don't see in church, and what you do see is boredom and bitterness. And yet, you're going to walk outside of any church building to some pagan establishment. You know what you're going to find? Happy pagans. Come back into church. What do they do? Give you prune juice at the front door? I'm telling you, the joy in the church is literally gone. And I'm convinced I know why. Philemon verse 6 says, I pray that you are active in sharing your faith so you have a full understanding of all the good things you have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, it's getting close to an end time. I don't know how close, but every tick of that clock is closer to the return of our Jesus. In this passage comes the first warning. Elisha hears of a dead child. You know what he does? He sends the servant. Think about what you and I do. You get somebody spiritually dead in your life, what's your first reaction? Hey, let's call the pastor or the elders. That's what you're paying these guys these big bucks for, right? Now we start a series of sinful excuses. I'm busy. I'll do it later. Here's your favorite. I do not have the gift of evangelism you're 100% correct, you don't and you won't. Turn every page of God's holy word. You can show me the commission. You can show me the mandate. You can show me the encouragement. You can't show me the gift. If God gave this half of the sanctuary the gift, you guys expect them to do all the work. But as they say in Alabama, that dog won't hunt, will it? Because the great commission is not an option for a born-again Christian. You what it is? It's a test of your love. Because if you really love God, you really will do it. Now watch out for the signs of a dying Christian life. Ask yourself, do you only have Christian friends? Have you stopped hanging around dead, diseased, and lost people? Where do you think Jesus found you? Because if you do, you know what happens next. Oh, you're coming to church okay, only you're going to become critics of the saved instead of fishers for the lost. You're going to backbite and fight over absolutely non-issues. The hundreds of people out there in your community are dying damned. And I know for a fact that several of you in here don't give a rip. Because if you become keepers of your aquarium instead of fishers of men, You're one step from another dead and dying church in this country. I'm asked a hard question. In fact, I'm going to give you a prophecy first. I'm not a bit afraid to prophesy because you only have to be 100% correct or it's false. If you choose not to evangelize individually and collectively, first you... Then this church, it'll fossilize. Now comes a hard question. I'm going to make this question a little bit restrictive. I'm going to ask the question in love. And I'm going to ask you to please respond by giving me a show of hand. The question is this How many of you in the last year were able to take your Bible, turn the pages of Scripture, and show somebody how they could become Born again. If that's true for you, hold your hand. up. If it's not, please don't. Let me just get a quick tone. Thank you. That was pretty easy. First of all, thank you for your honesty. Three hands. Now do the math with me. Would God say to us, are 98% of us in here ashamed of the gospel that brought us our salvation? You tell me, how does a born-again believer not share their faith after what you and I have been forgiven for? What do you do with the verse where Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before my Father in heaven. Look at the chaos in this world. The complete chaos in people's lives. Do you have any answer other than Jesus? Because in this second and last warning, remember, it's the servant plant. Said the child's asleep? No, the child's dead. See, we're looking around our own lives and thinking people are okay. You know, the one that will help you with a computer or homework assignment, lend you a tool, make your computer work. You know, nice people. Folks, they're not nice. They're dead. And you haven't heard anything else all morning, I want you to please go down this little checklist with me. Because I'm going to talk about somebody you know, and possibly you. Listen to what God says, because somehow we believe there's middle ground. But you tell me after hearing God's Word, if there's any middle ground in these people you're pretending that are nice and okay. Here's what your Bible says. Either you're in a relationship with Christ, we well, are no middle air. Either you're born again or you're not. No middle. Now, you've been in church, I guarantee you've heard pastors say that. But the next series are a stinker they have to preach. Because it's going to get very personal. Because we may be talking about you. And I pray not me. But listen to what the Word of God says. If you are not the child of God you are the child of Satan you have a neighbor that is a child of Satan you go to school with a child of Satan you work next to children of Satan and we don't warn them it's not shame on them folks it's shame on us because the Bible says if I'm not the child of God I'm the enemy of God That nice, sweet, nice little appearing person is an enemy of God. Because the Bible says I'm going to heaven or I'm going to hell. No middle. I'm storing up mercy or I'm storing up wrath. And you know why that's so tough for us to really get our teeth into? Because you and I have forgotten who and what we violate. I carry these things around all the time. Anybody ever hear? Probably only us older people did it. Ever take a penny and put it on a railroad track and get the thing mushed? And I got a guy that mushes these suckers for me, but he gets the Ten Commandments on it, And I'm always giving them out. And I gave it out to the guy on a plane trip the other day. And I said, here, penny for your thoughts. So he takes the thing and he goes, oh. He says, that's got the Ten Commandments on it. I said, yeah. you ever break any? He said, three. I said, okay, well, we're sitting here. Can't go anywhere. I said, let you and I go down to the checklist. He says, okay. I said, sir, have you ever told a lie? He said, oh yeah, but they're just little ones. I said, okay, you're a little liar. I said, sir, have you ever stolen? Quote, I am a Roman Catholic businessman. I don't steal. I said, sir, do you expect me to believe a little liar you don't steal? He said, I only steal small things. (laughs) envelopes and pencils from work. I said, sir, you ever commit a murder? He said, you can't get me on that one. I said, really? Anybody in this congregation ever been angry at anybody? You ever hate anybody? Wave them off on a freeway? You and I are guilty of murder. Who's there to dare stand up in this congregation and say we've never looked at the opposite sex without lust? You know what's even tougher? God says you break one commandment, one time, lake of fire. First stolen cookie. First lust for look. The Bible guarantees a trip straight down. You know what the world says? Nah. God's a loving God. He ain't going to send anybody to hell. Really? I think that's the easiest thing in the Bible to prove how wrong they are. And you know where I begin to prove hell? Right there. That cross. You know why I begin there? Remember when Jesus Christ, our spotless Lamb of God, who knew no sin and thought, word, or deed, He took upon the sin of liars, thieves, murderers, adulterers, coveters. That's us, folks. Have no doubt about it. That was placed on Him. Every single, think about it, every single stinking thing you and I have ever done, ever done, He paid. He paid. How did He pay for mine? Unbelievable grace. And how come we don't talk about what happened when that happened? Let me quote the Bible. The moment Christ had your sin, my sin placed on Him. Here's what happened. First, Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why am I considered those who are down in the pit who you remember no more. Wait a minute. Why does Jesus say darkness surrounds me? What happened to his relationship with God? Gone. Because God cannot look at sin, whether it's carried by Christ or committed by you or by me. Unless and until we are born anew, born again. The Greek says born from above. It's very frightening right now, folks. We now know from a latest survey in Southern Baptist churches, the largest denomination in the United States, that 50% that attend a Sunday morning service are not born again. How can that be? It's very simple. Your Bible in Matthew seven twenty one says, "Many, many will say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, you know I was a really good guy. I attended the church. I ushered. I worked in the nursery. You know, religious stuff." And the worst words, and I think of all of this Bible, get away from me. You get away from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. It has become a false gospel that this last generation has heard. They were called to just take a couple of steps toward an altar, say a magic prayer, and you are in. Stamp wrong. First comes, as you heard Alan say so beautifully, heard, first comes the reckon of sin, recognition of sin. He knew he was depraved, didn't take a village genius to do that. First thing you got to know is you're a sinner, you have no need for a Savior. But when you need a Savior, you don't bargain. You don't give part of yourself. You know, and hope lesser sins, you give it all or you're not born again. You're not sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Period. And it's frightening to be around in all these different churches and find person after person that is religious but never relational with the living God. It's frightening because I know what their end will be, the same as mine, without the grace of God. I'm going to close with a dream of mine. Actually, sure dream. dream. about an ocean, filled with people, drowning, screaming, yelling for help. but nobody there to help them. Bunch of people just going down. But one day in my dream, this huge rock appeared, and people began to crawl and pull themselves up to safety on the rock. But once they got on the rock, what happened next drove me almost insane. They got busy. They got involved in rock lives, rock gardens, rock jobs, rock music, and came to rock meetings just like this one. And they spent their time talking about all those people out there. Look at them. Those heathens out there, those pagans out there. Look at all those drowning people. Nobody's getting off the rock. Nobody. I don't know if you ever tried to yell in a dream. doesn't work in mine. But I kept trying to yell at everybody on the rock. It was, how can you forget so quickly you? We're once in the sea. See, Jesus is never up on the top of the rock where it's safe. You're only going to find Jesus down by the ocean edge where the dead, the disease, and the lost are. And he's asking for you to come. The question this morning is, will you? Are you going to remain ashamed of the gospel? that gave you your salvation. I've been saying to churches in love lately, please do me a favor, and don't call yourself a born again follower of Jesus Christ if you won't share your faith. You can't have it both ways. Your Bible won't let you. Either you're not born again, or you're just going to flagrantly deny the great command, the great commission of your Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us are getting older, folks. There isn't one of us in this room that know we're going to make it home today. Do you really want to leave a legacy of nothing? It's not about how much trinkets you leave your children. It's how much gospel truth that you've left people that are in your life. I hope, like me, one day you'll be praying constantly But, Father, if there's anyone in my life that I have been praying for and sharing with that keeps wanting to head to hell, and if my arms aren't tightly around their knees begging for them to stay and not go there, Father, let it not be on me. Let it be on them. We're going to put on a DVD, or a CD, excuse me, right now. And I would like you to think about two things while this musical song is playing. Number one, you can't give away what you don't have. One question just ask yourself this morning. Am I really born again by God's definition? Number two, first of all, you were so honest and you got caught in sin do I really want to repent? Or do I really want to just enjoy my sin and bring shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's going to be a personal decision that you make between yourself and God. Maybe during that CD as it's playing, as you sit quietly in the pew and I hope everybody has their head bowed and closing their eyes in prayer. You've made a decision that silence is no longer an option in your life. Maybe you want to just raise your hand as a commitment and say, Lord, no longer me. If you're not sure you've really made a commitment to Jesus Christ, please don't leave here without it. Talk to the pastor, myself, or anybody, please. So would you be kind enough to put that musical CD on? May the Holy Spirit give you the wisdom to choose whatever it is that would please God. Just a couple of closing remarks before I turn you over to Pastor for the benediction. Um, for those of you who made a decision that silence was not an option in your life, or to surrender Jesus for the first time, first of all, your life will never be the same, and neither will the life of this church. But something I want you to really understand that I really understand, if I gave you this directive message without a solution, God would rightfully charge me with the sin of laying guilt on you. But my Bible is real clear. There is no more guilt or condemnation for those in Christ. I got settled at the cross. But that's why tonight at 5 p.m. sharp we're going to do a seminar called Share Jesus Without Fear and I'm going to give you two promises that will happen to you when you come. Promise number one, you're going to walk away tonight and say, this is the simplest thing I've ever heard. Number two, you're going to find a brand new freedom. You're going to find out that absolutely unconditionally you cannot fail. Pastor? Thanks for God's benediction. Peace to you and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen.